Today I, I was supposed to preach out of, of John 8. I'm just going to read it to you. and You can keep standing if you want. You can sit down. You guys, if you'll just stay there. But stay in this atmosphere because I, I think we're going to worship just in a second. If you give me like four or five minutes here. If you go to John and... and you, you need to know that it's probably true that John didn't write this story down. It doesn't make the Bible less reliable. It actually makes it more reliable that we know this. But for some reason, this story's been preserved 2,000 years later. I think God wants us to know this story, even if it wasn't John's story. It says, early in the morning, John chapter 8, the people came to Jesus. He's in the temple. It says he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? So they're trying to trap Jesus. Because Jesus claims to be a man of God who lives by the Bible. And they've caught this woman sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband. And according to the Old Testament, now she should be stoned to death. So what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to uphold the law of Moses which he claims to be all about or contradict it if he upholds it he's murdering a woman and if he contradicts it he's he's a liar right they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him either way it's a lose-lose situation for Jesus so they think so Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And people like to speculate what he wrote. I don't think it's helpful. Did he write the sins of the men who were standing there? Did he write the names of women they had committed adultery with? Or did they, was he just writing other commands? Or was he just drawing pictures? Who knows? It doesn't help to speculate. That's not the point of the story is what Jesus wrote in the ground. I do think it's interesting. This is the only time in Scripture we see Jesus writing anything down. And he's writing in, in, in dirt. Which, what will happen to it? It'll just whew, away. How, much, how important are the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the logos, the rhema, the words come from his mouth. That's what's important. It's the only time we see him writing something. We have no clue what it is, and it will be washed away. And somehow his words still resound 2,000 years later. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, 
Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And we, we know like he was the only one in the room, only one in the crowd that had no sin. He was the only one that could have thrown a stone. He was the only one that could have accused her. In fact, being God, he knew more of other sins that she had committed. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. When Jesus was left alone with the woman standing up before him, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Some translations say, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Like just this. What, what gets me there is like, here's this woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And like, she doesn't apologize for it. She doesn't say she's sorry. And Jesus just like, okay, I don't accuse you. I, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. He just lets her off. That's insane. No apology, just I don't I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. She hadn't done anything good yet. She hadn't proven herself. Go and sin no more. Like that's it. So some of us are so caught up and think we need to prove ourselves to God so we can be acceptable to Him and. Like all of your proving yourself to him, the scripture says, it's filthy rags, it's crap. It's his words, not mine. Like some of you need to stop trying to prove yourself to God and just be his son and be his daughter. Just be the daughter of God. He loves you. Just be the son of God. Like, you're his son. Just walk in that. <sighs> Sons and daughters screw up a lot, don't they? They do. I mean, it hurts. It's painful as a parent as we watch our sons and daughters screw up. And yet we love them and, and we're evil, Matthew 7 says. We're evil parents compared to God, the good father. He loves us so much more. <laughs> And, and, and people are like, well, this is a dangerous way to preach 
Pastor Drew, can't, if we just, and there's this theory, I actually don't buy this one, um, just so you know, but just so you know it exists. There are some theologians who believe the reason John chapter 8 is not in the oldest manuscripts, they say it originally was, but they were afraid that women would start cheating on their husbands if they left John chapter 8 in there, go and sin no more. Like, I don't accuse you. So they took it out, and then when they found it again, they put it back in. I don't, I don't think that's what happened. But, but that's what we're afraid. We're afraid if we preach grace that people will just start living in sin. The opposite is true. If you truly experience grace, you stop sinning. And you know what's there. Like, you know, like, I know God's going to forgive me no matter what I do. And a religious mindset says, well, if I, I know God is going to forgive me no matter what I do, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. But you haven't actually experienced grace this morning, if that's the way you feel. And I think Jesus had such confidence in that moment with the grace on that woman when he looks at her and says, where are your accusers? Oh, they're gone. Well, if, if they don't condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And it doesn't tell us what happens after that with this woman. But I believe Jesus was so confident in his grace being something that would change this woman that she went. He was, he was able to just say, I don't condemn you. Go sin no more. And it changed her life. Because grace changes you. It doesn't give you permission to keep doing what you did before. It changes you. Because you realize that the grace that you carry was paid for by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. I'm going to read you out of Luke chapter 23. This is another guy who did nothing for Jesus. These guys who do nothing for Jesus and go to heaven. This will be my last scripture I, I read today, probably. We'll, we'll read, we'll start in 32. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And that's, that's why sometimes you see that three crosses, some pictured. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They cast lots and they divided his garments And people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Can you imagine, like, hanging naked on the cross and also being mocked at the same time? Like, I don't, I don't like it when people make fun of me just on a good day. But being mocked while you're hanging naked in front of your enemies... 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. It was to mock him. This is the king of the Jews. And this, the, the irony of what they were putting in front of him. In verse 39, it says this. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And I, I want you to think about this for a moment. This man who's a convicted criminal, and he's hanging on a cross like he knows he's going to die. He knows the only thing ahead of him is death. Certain, certain death. And he's hanging on that cross and he sees Jesus and his response is like, like he's basically, basically saying, prove that you are who you said you are. And I don't think it was just some calm thing. That I, I believe he was hysterical. I think he was crying out, what are you doing? You could save us. You, if you prove that you are who you say you are, because he's hanging there bleeding out with the pain of hanging on that cross. And Jesus doesn't respond, but the other criminal on the other side says in verse 40, he rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. He's saying we are getting what we deserve. We were criminals. But this man has done nothing wrong. He is the sinless man. He's the only one that doesn't deserve death. He's the only one that could justly execute punishment towards us. He's the only one without sin. It's so strange. He's the only one that could, without any hypocrisy, condemn us. And he's the only one that never deserved death. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Like this guy gets to go to heaven. Why? Because he did all the right things? He'd done nothing. He'd done nothing. He was a criminal. He didn't feel bad about his life at all, as far as we could tell, until the last moments. He'd done nothing for Jesus at all, and he, there, hanging on the cross, he just says, Jesus, remember me, and Jesus says, done. Can I tell you this morning, you don't have to do anything to be the son or, or daughter of God. All you have to do is just be the son or daughter of God. Jesus, Drew, Pastor Drew, isn't there more 
Isn't there more that a disciple of Jesus needs to do? Come to D groups, we'll talk about that part, right? We'll talk about that part. Let us disciple you, we'll talk about the part. But the only, the most important part is the most important part is that Jesus died for us. He took our sin and our shame on him and then he, he, he rose from the dead, right? So he's alive today and he offers you grace this morning. And what's crazy is he offers grace to the people in your life too. Like, like your loved ones that don't know Jesus. They don't understand the grace of Jesus. They don't understand it. And people who are scared of grace, they don't understand Romans 6. It says, just because we have grace doesn't mean we go on sinning because you don't understand grace. I'm reminded of the story that Jesus tells about the master who goes out looking for people to work in his vineyard, work in his farm. And he hires some guys. He says, hey, I'll pay you a hundred bucks if you work in the farm for the day. And he's like, sure. So they go in the morning and they start working. And he goes out, the master goes out at noon and hires a few more guys. You guys know the story, right? Then he goes out middle towards the evening and hires a few more guys. And at the very last hour of the day, the master goes out and he finds some dudes just standing around. He's like, what are you guys doing? Like nobody hired us. He says, come on, I got a job for you. So they go out, they work maybe an hour. And then the master, it's time for him to pay everyone who worked for him that day. And he walks up to the guys who only worked an hour and he hands them a hundred bucks. Here's a hundred bucks. And they're like, sweet. And he starts paying everybody. And he gets down to the people who work at the beginning of the day that agreed to work for a hundred bucks and he hands them a hundred bucks they're like what's this you're only giving us a hundred bucks and the master was like wait wait a minute like i'm giving you what i i agreed to like yeah but but those jokers only worked for an hour we've been busting it all day long And Jesus says, like, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Like, it doesn't matter if you've been trying to serve Jesus from the time you were a kid or you give him your life on the deathbed. You get the same payment, and that is the grace of God. And if that offends you this morning, you do not understand the grace of God. And if your response to that is, well, then I should just go out and live in the world and, until my deathbed, then you don't understand the goodness of this grace. Because if you understand it, you want to cling hold to it and you want to say, be with me, Jesus. Be with me in every moment. I can't live life without you. I've never known a love or a grace like this. And then the cry of our heart is, Jesus, how can I be that same grace to someone else when I screw up all the time like I fail all the time and I'm reminded again of the way I started I'm reminded of Peter who screwed up denied Jesus and Jesus was like you're still qualified 
Even though you're a total screw-up, you're still qualified because it was never about you. It was about me and my outrageous grace. And that's, that's why we sing this song that's so popular in, in Christendom. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, a wretch. Someone dirty and broken and no better than vomit. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. But the reality is it had nothing to do with me. All it had to do with was that amazing grace. Will you bow your heads for a moment? My question is, have you experienced this grace? Have you truly grabbed a hold of it? This grace is unfair and it makes no sense. And yet when you see it, like, you don't want anything else besides it. This grace that only comes through Jesus Christ. The world tries to manufacture it in so many different ways, but everything they have is a, is a poor counterfeit that doesn't hold a candle to His amazing light. This morning, my question for you is, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God in the flesh, that he died on the cross to show us amazing grace, and that today he is alive, a risen Savior. And will this morning you make him Lord of your life? If this morning you have never done that, I'm going to ask you to look me in the eye right now. Thank you. This morning, if you say, I, I have friends and loved ones who need to experience this amazing grace, this morning, I... Some of you feel disqualified, like I can't share Jesus with them because I've screwed up so many times in the past and in front of them. I, it's similar to like moms and dads sometimes are like, man, I want to do some really spiritual things with my kids, but they've seen me screw up too many times. So I, I feel guilty about doing a devotion with them or I feel guilty about praying with them because they've seen me also like cuss them out at times. And you're an imperfect example, I, sure. 
but Jesus is good and Jesus is faithful. Grab onto his grace this morning and try again. Because it's never been about you. And he will use you in spite of you because he is good. And however broken you think you are this morning, his amazing grace is here to be poured out on you. I want to give you a chance to respond. We're going to worship with this song again. And if you feel like you need to pray with someone or you just want to come down on this altar and kneel down and say, Lord, I need to experience your grace again. Or Lord, I need to pray for grace in the life of someone again. I'm going to invite you to come. And we're going to make just these next few moments available for the Lord to do what he wants to do this morning.